Hi, my name is Mindy Sharon. So back in March 2020, uh, I had an ultrasound at 21 weeks in my pregnancy and um, my little boy looked good, everything was normal, and about uh, four or five weeks later, uh, I went back in for a follow-up and we found out that his heart stopped. And I had to go in uh, two days later and deliver. And so here in my arms was this little boy that saw the face of Jesus before he ever saw mine. But then I got pregnant again in uh, the end of September and October. Uh, I miscarried at eight weeks, another little boy. Uh, we named our first boy Peter and our second boy Ethan. My second miscarriage, it just put me in a tailspin. I was angry with God. Um, said some terrible things to him, uh, and yet in his wonderful, wonderful grace, uh, he taught me um, that I can be angry with him. I can take it all to him. I can lay it all at his feet, and in his wonderful, gentle spirit, he just drew me back to him. I just know that even in my grief and my anger, um, there had to be a part of me that said yes to Jesus to, yes, Ty, I want to be healed. Um, yes to, I want you to make me whole again. And yes, I want you to use all of this because I don't want the deaths of my little boys to be for nothing. And, uh, and it was that yes, I think, that really turned my heart back to God. And it turned my, my walk to Him and even my prayer life. I know prayer works. God hears, God answers, maybe not always in the ways we think, but he answers and, and it just comes from a yes in our hearts. Um, so fast forward um, a year later actually, after my last miscarriage, uh, I just had a little boy who's two months old now and his name's Jacob. Um, and he is just a redeeming work of God's faithfulness and goodness. Um, what I've realized is God didn't have to give me him, um, but in his, just in his kindness, he, he brought this little boy into the world. And he is a true testament of, of faithful prayer and faithful prayer warriors. Um, there was a point I, I couldn't pray anymore because I just felt like God wasn't answering my prayers. And what was so amazing is my church family, my spiritual family, uh, they prayed when I didn't have the words to pray. And, um, and Jacob is a true testimony to that. Well, Colonial Woods, would you help me thank Mindy for sharing her story along with Ryan. God's classroom is not always a fun place to be. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be hearing some testimonies of how God intervened in the situations and how we learned through some very hard things. But that's the way it is when we go through a classroom. Oftentimes we learn things that we otherwise wouldn't have learned, but we really didn't want to learn, and it's kind of a forced setting. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be spending our time this morning as we talk about surviving PTSD, and it isn't exactly the way that you're thinking that it might be. Actually, a few weeks ago, I was in a prayer meeting, and uh, we were hearing the testimonies of individuals who are ministry leaders in the area. And over the last number of weeks, I've been with uh, pastor friends, people in ministry from around the country, and I've just heard story after story after story 
of heartache that has taken place. Now, the reason I'm telling you this isn't because they're pastors. It's just simply that even ministry leaders go through real life. I think sometimes we think that because people are in ministry that they don't deal with real life, but they deal with real life. And I can tell you stories right now of one who has suffered childhood abuse that has impacted their life to this day. Um, I can tell you the, the, the individual that lost a child uh, to an overdose. I can tell you of an individual whose uh, child was uh, taken advantage of. I can tell you of individuals who've been through hard, horrible circumstances. Um, it's interesting, whatever your story is, there are others who have gone through this similar story. In fact, you can fill in the blank. And when we were in a prayer gathering, there was an individual who was sharing, who has shared quite often that he struggles with PTSD. And as he was sharing... I wasn't going to even speak that morning. I wasn't even going to pray. I just felt like the Lord just wanted me just to be silent uh, that morning. And so I just went in with kind of a quiet heart. And as he began to share about that, I have often used in the last several years, I have told individuals that, man, I, th I think you're going through a, a form of PTSD. You're going through a, a post-traumatic stress syndrome. You're, you're going, it's the residuals of what you went through that was so devastating and that morning, the Lord just began to put a word on my heart. I ended up sharing it in that setting. But I want to share it with you this morning because PTSD is not just for those who have been in the military, a post-traumatic stress syndrome, and I do not diminish that at all. But I want to put some different names to that acronym, post-traumatic spiritual devastations. In fact, if you have made choices that have, have led to your own downfall, we can even call it post-traumatic spiritual downfalls. It can be the choices of others. It can be life circumstances. It can be the choices that I've made. But we've all gone through, likely, those things that have had a residual impact, almost like a rock being thrown into the water. There's a residual of the ripple effect that continues into our life. Some have gone through abuse. Some have gone through woundedness. Some have gone through abandonment. Some have gone through betrayal. Some have gone through personal attacks. And it's interesting it, it tends to have a resounding impact on our life where, where perhaps, and I, I didn't mean any pun by this, but we're a little gun-shy. We're, 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 we're sensitive to things that otherwise we wouldn't have been sensitive to. We might struggle with trust. We might struggle with love. We might struggle with having a, feel of, uh, a feeling of passion, as we talked about last week. We talked about losing your song last week. By the way, the choir did that song. You lost your song. It's that, it's, that, it's that residual impact of having gone through devastating things in life that can have an incredible impact on in our life. I, I had a, a, a man and a woman come into my, a husband and wife come into my office years ago. And they were going through some marriage crisis. And one of the very first things that she shared with me was that they had lost a child several years earlier. And then she quoted a statistic that said, do you realize that, I, I can't remember the stat off the top of my head, but something like 75% of all couples who have gone through the loss of a child end up in divorce. Now, the first time she shared that with me, it didn't make that much of an impact. But I would tell you that over the course of the next couple of months, she brought that stat up over and over and over, almost as if it needed to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we had to deal with that. And the reason for it is, is that when you've gone through something that traumatic, it has residual effects 
in your relationships in your life. And so today I want to walk us through this thing by looking at the life of Paul. Not so much just what he went through, but I want you to see the promises of how God met him in a post-traumatic spiritual devastation when he was attacked, when he felt abandoned, how God met him in that moment and how God wants to meet us in our times of need as well. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and we're going to go to chapter 4. And I need to give you just a little bit of the context because 2 Timothy is the last book, at least that we have, that Paul wrote. Paul has, uh, Paul has progressed now. He is 25 years, 30 years in the faith. He has started multiple churches by virtue of planting the seed of the gospel all throughout the Gentile world. He has written letters to many of them. And to those he did write to, he said, hey, I want you to share these with the other churches as well. But when you come into 2 Timothy, the end is near. Paul has already been shipwrecked. Paul is already going before the the trial in Rome. He is in Rome, we assume, at this time. Before too long, he is going to be executed for his faith. And he knows the time is near. And frankly, he's ready. He's tired. He has run the good race. And he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only for me, but also to all who long for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent uh, Titius to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus at Troas and my scrolls and especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm, and the Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Now we're going to stop there for a moment. That's not the end of the story, but I I want you to see that oftentimes when you see Paul, you see this this very sure of himself individual. He 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 understands his downfalls, he understands his history, he understands his his sinfulness, but I think that oftentimes when you see Paul, you see this leader who looks fearless, who who looks as though that the bullets just kind of bounce off of him, but This guy is a real guy. He is just, he's like you and me. He just goes through life. He's got a call on his life, but everybody has a call on their life. And you'll notice the emotions that he's feeling. By the way, whether they're real or not real, they're real to him. I'll show you why in just a little bit. Number one, he was disappointed by the choices of others. Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. 
When he uses that phrase deserted, it has an emotional attachment to it. It just means we were on a journey together and he left the journey. And this was not some Johnny-come-lately guy. Paul mentions him twice in other books of the Bible as being key to the harvest field, key to his ministry. And he, he, he brings an attachment to it because he has loved the world. The idea there is he got wooed by the world. Something, we don't know what, doesn't even have to be anything particularly sinful. It can just simply be that he, he finally decided he wanted to live in a home. He wanted to have a comfortable bed to sleep in. He, he wanted to eat regular meals at regular times. I don't know what it was. Maybe, maybe he wanted a nine to five job. Whatever it was, Paul looked at that and he had a tremendous amount of emotion attached to it. And he said, because he's loved the world. And some of you know exactly what he feels like because you've been disappointed by the choices of others and generally the closer the individual is in your life the more disappointed you'll be by their choices a child who's made a decision not to follow the direction that you have in your life or maybe a child who doesn't hold to the same convictions that you hold or or maybe it's a spouse or a, a parent or a close friend or a sibling but but whatever it is you have this feeling of disappointment at the choices other people have made number two he's experienced feelings of abandonment he says um, Crescens has gone to Galatia Titus to Dalmatia I sent Titius to Ephesus at my first defense no one came to my support but everyone deserted me may it not be held against them now I want to talk about these feelings of abandonment because I would suggest to you that at least in one of these cases if not two of these cases it wasn't necessarily abandonment to be malicious you'll notice that it says that Crescens and Titus they went off to other ministries and there are, it's really hard when your life has stopped when other people's life goes on. Paul's stuck. Paul's alone. Paul is under house arrest, under Roman, Roman rule. For all intents and purposes, he is in one place for a period of time and other people went on in ministry. By the way, Paul did the same thing. Earlier in his ministry, he's left individuals behind because of illness or because of disagreement or because they, they couldn't make the arduous journey. I, I'm not picking on Paul. I really like Paul. I would never presume to tell Paul how to live his life, but I would tell you Paul is a real person. And sometimes when you have a feeling of abandonment, what the feeling is associated with is that I've gone through loss and I've gone through a place in my life where I'm not moving forward, but other people are, and it, it makes you feel as though you've been abandoned. Other individuals did what Paul asked them to do. Titius. By the way, if you don't know if that's the right way to say Titius, just go to Google and say, how do I say Titius? <laughs> that's what I did this morning. Titius did exactly what he asked him to do. I, I think Paul maybe just didn't think he was going to do it. 
You ever done that? Hey, I'd really like you to do this, and then they do it, and you're like stunned because they actually did what you asked them to do. And then you have a feeling of abandonment because they did exactly what you asked them to do because they didn't read secretly what you wanted them to do. You, you getting where I'm at? I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that is exactly what's happening, but it does strike me that Paul, Paul feels like most of us feel. I would tell you it's a result of having gone through battle after battle after battle after battle, and Paul is dealing with the post-traumatic residuals of a life, of a ministry that has been very hard. In fact, you'll notice in here, people didn't show up when he thought they would show up. He said, at my first defense, no one was there. And there are people that you've poured your life into. There are people that you've done things for. You have folks that you've helped move. You you have individuals that you walked them through a crisis. You were faithful to them when they went through a loss. You prayed with them when their kids went astray. And, And when you went through your challenge, they weren't there. And it gives this incredible feeling of abandonment. Which leads to number three, he he led he he felt lonely. And loneliness isn't just when you're alone. Loneliness is when you're in the middle of a room full of hundreds of people and yet you feel like you're the only one who's experiencing what you're experiencing. That is a loneliness. And Paul, even though he had Luke and even though he had a couple of others and even though others were on the way, he just felt alone. Number four. He felt unfairly attacked. Notice what he says about Alexander the metal worker, verse 14. It's not the first time, by the way, we hear about Alexander the metal worker because we hear about him in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. In chapter 1, verse 19 of 1 Timothy, he says, some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now, that sounds like such a harsh statement, and it probably is, but Paul teaches that when an individual who's in the faith is stepped outside what would be considered heresy or outside of biblical guidelines, when he says hand them over to Satan, what he says is is that, that you need to let them go their own direction, but they can't have a part of that leadership because you're endorsing what they're doing, and by, by that separation, it kind of shows them how serious of consequences that that stray is. Now you come into 2 Timothy, several years later, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Alexander, the metal worker, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on guard against him because he strongly has opposed our message. So what happened was this guy was in error. Paul had to lead a discipline against this guy. This guy turned on him, began to maliciously attack him and the message that he had. And now people have somehow believed about Paul what Alexander, the one who was under discipline, said about him. 
And somehow this guy who had character issues was being believed. And Paul is now going through the feeling of being attacked. Some of you know what that's like. You had a spouse that betrayed you, but somehow made it your issue. You have a co-worker or a boss that, that you did what was right with integrity and yet the accusation was made against you or whatever it is, whether it be neighborhood or politics or, or school boards or whatever it might be, even as a teacher or as a, as a, as a, as a lay individual, the fact is, is that sometimes we're attacked and it feels very unfair, which leads to number five, you just fatigue. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. What he's saying is, is that, man, I am like the wine that is pulled on the, uh, poured on the altar and I just kind of fizzle. He said, I am tired. I'm being poured out. I'm done. I'm ready to depart. And by the way, he is ready to depart. But he says, I've run the race. I'm at the end of the journey. I am so tired. And right now, if if we could just simply examine into the life of individuals that are sitting here or at home today, there are some that are saying, I know exactly how Paul feels. And, and what I want to say conversely is, Paul knows exactly how you feel. And by the way, since it's in the Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God knows exactly how you feel. And if that was the end of the story, we could sit here, commiserate, sing Kumbaya and go home and we really wouldn't have learned much. But I want you to see what Paul says happened. Because what happened in Paul's life is a promise that is there for us, whatever we're going through. And you're saying, well, mine doesn't measure up to Paul's or mine doesn't. Pain is pain. I wish we would get away from trying to measure our pain against everybody else's pain. It is really hard. You know what? Have any of you ever had a headache? Raise your hand. Have you ever tried to compare your headache to somebody else's headache? Pastor Bruce, you ever had a headache? Was it bad? Yeah, so did I. I have no idea. Maybe you're just a wimp. Maybe your headache to me, would have been nothing. Maybe my headache to a normal man like you would have just destroyed you. Or vice versa. Maybe I really don't, maybe I'm a wimp. Maybe I have a very, I, you ever notice that you can't compare it? All I know is it hurts. It hurts. And so whatever you've gone through, if it hurts, it hurts. And God doesn't expect you to compare yours to everybody else's if it hurts, it hurts, and God meets us in that hurt. So notice what he says. He says in chapter 4, he goes on in the journey, and he says, But the Lord stood by my side, and he gave me strength, so that through the message, through me, the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. And he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I read this. In fact, I was praying with these individuals at a prayer meeting. And I looked. All of a sudden, this verse came to me. And I saw in this some three things that held Paul steady that ministered to him in dealing with the trauma. 
from spiritual devastation. Number one phrase there, the Lord stood by my side. It is his presence. The presence of the Lord came near to him more and more than it ever had before. That phrase, the Lord stood by my side, it is the third time that Paul utters it. The first time he uttered it is when there were 40 men who had made a covenant that they would not eat again until they killed him. It was before he went to Rome the last time, Acts chapter 23. It was so powerful to him that he testified to it to Luke. Luke wrote it down and it says, and the Lord stood by my side and he told me that I'm going to stand on trial. The second time was when the ship was about to go down in a storm on the way to Rome. Chapter 27 of Acts. And he's so encouraged by it that he tells the men the next morning, last night, an angel of the Lord stood by my side and he assured me, we're going to make it. Now here's the deal. The ship's going to be destroyed. We're going to have to be shipwrecked on an island, but we're all going to make it if you just believe me. It was so powerful that not only did he believe it, but the entire ship believed it, and they actually followed the promise that the Lord had been by his side. Now he's approaching death, approaching trial, and he said, and he's feeling the attack, and he's feeling the betrayal, and he said, the Lord stood by my side. That is not some platitude. You will notice that when you go through the most difficult times of life, that if you will allow him, the Lord will come near you and his presence will sustain you as in ways that you've never experienced before. We could get up this morning and have 50 people tell a testimony of how when they went through the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child, the loss of a parent, they went through the loss of a job, the loss of a house, they went through economic downturn, they went through the hardest attacks, they were unfairly treated. We could hear testimony after testimony after testimony of how the Lord came so near. I can't explain it. He gave me a peace I can't explain. Why? Because he was there. It is the power of presence. And it is not just something that happened in the past. God promises to do it in the future. His presence. And then there's a promise. You'll notice what he says. He says, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and he will bring me into his eternal kingdom. I put it this way. The Lord will deliver me and bring me home. It's promise. It's living with a sense of promise that yes, the Lord is with me. It's his presence. But the promise in all of this is that God is going to deliver me from the evil attacks. That's a promise for today. And then the promise for tomorrow is, and oh, by the way, when this is all over, I get to be with him in heaven. I know that for some individuals, that's not an encouraging thought because you're thinking, wait a minute, what about today? But he says, but he, God knows how to deliver me today. And God will deliver me today, but God will also deliver me tomorrow. And it puts this perspective on things. 
It's living with a sense of promise that God doesn't leave us or forsake us. And I realize we can say that, and most of us can quote it, but when you live it, it becomes real. There is something about God's classroom that is hard, but God, his presence, we never would have experienced it like that had we not gone through this. And the promise of not just eternity, but his rescue, we never would have grabbed it like we do when we're walking through those times. Number three. The third one is a sense of purpose. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice what he says in this passage. He believes there's actually a purpose in this that God is going to ultimately bring glory to himself. And our greatest goal as believers is not just to get to heaven, but it is to bring God's glory. Our number one purpose is to bring him glory. And Paul said, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I know this, God is able to bring glory to himself somehow because my life has a purpose. When, when Paul used that phrase, my life is already being poured out like a drink offering, I've explained this concept before, but for those who haven't heard it, it is so good because there are all kinds of offerings in scripture. There's the bread fellowship offering where you can bring a, some bread before the Lord and it's to have fellowship with him. And then there's the, there's the, sin of a, or the, the atonement a sacrifice, and then there's the sin sacrifice, and then there's the burnt offering. The wine or the drink offering was the least considered, the least important of all the offerings. At the end of all the offerings, they would take some wine and they would go to the hot embers that were on the altar and they would take the wine and just put a little, just you ever do that on a campfire? Put a little coffee or whatever, you know, and just... And it was said that the, 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 the mist of smoke that would go up out of the fire from the drink offering was a pleasant aroma in the nostrils of the Lord. And Paul says, I don't know what kind of a difference I made. Everybody, everybody thinks he knew he was writing the New Testament. He didn't know it. He didn't know 2,000 years later we'd be studying the end of his life. He didn't, he didn't know it. He didn't know that perhaps outside of Jesus Christ, probably one of the most important biblical figures, he didn't know it. He said, do you know what? Even if my life is spilled out and just goes poof, and the only thing that does is it brings a smile to God's face. I'm okay with that. Because it's all for his honor, all for his glory. That's the purpose of my life. These have a way of preparing us, of God using and directing us. The spiritual downfalls, the spiritual devastations, God didn't cause them, but they're allowed. They have a way of preparing us. Paul became a much softer man in his older years. 
I won't call him arrogant because he wasn't, and I won't call him brash, although he seemed a little bit. He could be a little direct. You see a tender man here. Those things in life have a way of tenderizing us a little bit. I have a friend in ministry who suffered abuse as a child. 40, 50 years later, it has uniquely prepared him for a ministry to those who've gone through brokenness and abuse. God didn't cause it, and he would never have chosen this path, but it's the path he's on, and God has redeemed it for his glory. I have a friend. 30 years ago, was a, came across a very arrogant individual. Went through downfalls of his own choosing. Went through devastations he didn't choose. Most recently, his own health. I was talking to him not long ago. And I said, how are you doing? And he said, oh, Phil. God is so good. Phil, I would never have learned what I've learned. I would never be who I am had I not go through the horrificness of these last years. None of us would choose his path, and I would dare say none of us. It's been hard. There's something powerful when we experience the healing of God to such a degree that we actually are thankful not for the wrong that happened, but so thankful to Him that you've walked through it. And that you are today who God wants you to be. And He stood by Paul's side. He promises to stand by your side. His promises... They made the Paul of the same promise as he makes today. And the purpose, even if it's just to bring a smile or just glory to him who sustained you, he can bring it for good. Father, we come before you this morning as we began to talk through some of these things to one degree or another we could probably identify. For some, there were faces that were attached to it. Others, it was situations. And for still others, it was the decisions that we made that led to a, a hard, almost a wilderness time in our own life.
And God, we cling to the fact that you're the God who heals, and you don't just heal physically, you heal spiritually, but you heal at the deepest level of who we are. You, you heal our soul, you heal our very being, and you redeem our life from the pit. And so in this moment, Lord, some of us are coming to you a little bit like Paul, feeling a tad disappointed, battered, bruised, or just tired, and we, we ask for you, O oh God, we cling to you, O oh God, to stand by our side, to bring purpose out of this time in our life that can bring somehow glory to you and sustain us by the promise that you've put before us. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.